All right, Jason. So this is China black tea. Is mm. this one? I actually want to go home for it. Yeah. Okay. So is there any technique here? Can no. I mess this up? Yeah, no, you can't. It's a gooseneck, so. <laughs> I like Be aware where the water comes yeah. out. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it's similar to a uh, pour over. A pour over, which I'm well versed in. <laughs> Remarkably, and how much am I doing? I keep going. Yeah. I would go to the, see this bottom little crease there? Oh, yeah. I'd go up to there. That'd probably fill up your mug. Okay. Now we're going to start a timer for five minutes. Okay. And let it steep. I can set the timer. Okay. What got you into tea? I've always liked tea as an alternative to coffee because... But someone got you off Lipton tea bags yes. into correct tea. Yes. So Cafe Muse. Oh, right. right. No longer exists. Yeah. The white spaceship looking. Yeah. <laughs> of like everything with porcelain and yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't believe that's why they closed, but. They Is closed. that, am I thinking of the right one I, in North Liberty? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. No, they, they were great. They were really good. And so I ordered green tea and then it came out with a tea steeping contraption like this and then came out with a timer and and a mug, empty mug. And they're like, hey, once the timer goes off, it's ready. Huh. And so I was really caught off guard by that. <laughs> and so that's what interested Because you me. just expected a tea bag yeah, out of Exactly, yeah. exactly. So then I waited for the timer to go off and then I poured it into the mug and it took a sip. This is, this is tea. Tea, how it's meant to be enjoyed. Exactly, exactly. And so ever since that point, researched, and I had friends who had a tea steeping contraption mm. like this. Mm -hmm. So I never really thought about how, oh, it's easy and accessible to get something like that mm -hmm. until I saw one of my friends who had it. Mm -hmm. And then... Yeah, because this can't be... I mean, how much does this thing cost? You can buy it on Amazon for probably like 20 bucks or something. Okay. Yeah. 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 Really not bad. So then got this gooseneck kettle, which has different temperature settings on it mm. so that I can hone in. I didn't think about that. Yeah, mine's a one fit, one size fits all kettle. You just click the button and it turns on. I have one of the settings on there is pour over, which oh, yeah? I think is like 200, 205. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know what my kettle gets up to. pour over the tea. Way. I might be drinking tea, tea temperature pour overs. Yeah. yeah. Your coffee might have been wrong this whole time. Yeah. I'm remarkably not a coffee snob. <laughs> and the one kind of coffee snobby thing I do is I grind the beans. And I'm not even that snobby with that even more because for Christmas last year, I got like this like vacuum sealed is dramatic, but like tight sealed thing. So then I can like grind all the coffee kind of ahead of time but then i put it in the like nice sealed thing but yeah it's like costco kirkland brand coffee and then people send us coffee a lot so i'll work through that but then when like i don't have any of that and i'm just making my own and then i go to panera and drink their coffee yes which is just like sitting there cooking in the yeah hey hey don't bash on that producer zach is a big fan of panera coffee oh yeah producer zach Nice. Yeah, Panera Coffee. How do we not see each other there all the time? I That's where I'm there every day. You like walk in and out? Yeah, I like post up. 
that's a couple times a week I'll, I'll work from Panera. Because when I went full-time for the pour over, the first week I went to Starbucks like three times and I just get a drip coffee, but I'm like, this was 10 bucks this is that I spent. Thing. Yeah. It's like, this is a lot of money. And, and I was like, but you know, I'm, I'm paying for the location right. and $3 a day to get out of the house and have distraction is, is worth it. And then I was like, I'm pretty sure Panera, you can for $10 a month. So. So now we'll show the camera too. We're going to leave that there and it's going to pour out from underneath. Okay. So I just set this on top. Exactly. Gorgeous. Look at that. We got the pour over mug right in the. That's right. And you can see that all the, the dry leaves have. Expanded. Yeah. You see that? Fluffed up. That's so different. So imagine, you know, the commercialized tea bags. Mm -hmm. It's just ground up. There's no, you're missing out on how it's really supposed to be done. Yeah. And the flavors and the profile. So I'll let you go ahead and take a sip of that. Okay. I'm going to pour my own. So do you, so you know if you've just reused the tea leaf? Can. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to do that. Because, yeah, you can keep this going. Of course, it's not going to be as strong. Have you ever had black tea before? I mean, I'm sure. I just... This is good. You like it? Yeah. Okay. Hello and welcome to Tea Time with Joe. My guest today is Jason Woodruff, founder and editor-in-chief of The Pour Over, a Christian news organization that publishes an email newsletter covering current events and politics with almost 550,000 subscribers, recording as of December 2023. I met Jason 10 years ago where we were part of Campus Crusade at the University of Iowa and have been friends ever since. Jason lives in Iowa with his wife, Hannah, and daughter, Bryn. Jason, welcome to the show. Man, 10 years. When we lived in Colorado, we decided basically to leave Colorado. We loved Colorado, but it was a lot of the time we were there was during the pandemic and we just missed, felt like all our family was in Chicago and all our friends were here in Iowa. And so we were trying to decide between the two. And it's like, man, it's been a decade since I've lived in Illinois, which is part of the reason that we decided to come back. It's like, I don't have any, like I didn't, other than my wife, who I'm still close to and met in high that's school. That's good. <laughs> yeah. We didn't, and Nate, who remains my best friend and I met in high school, but he didn't go to Lake Forest. Um, I'm like not, I don't keep in touch with really anyone from high school. And so, yeah, it was like family or friends when we were moving back and because like you said, decade, we're getting old. Yeah, I know. We've known each other for 10 years. Time flies. I do want to say that the founder of the pour over is drinking black tea in the pour over mugs. So you heard it here first, folks. The founder of the pour over is a huge fan of tea. Black tea. Done right. That's, That's it. good. That's it. All right, Jason, let's start from the early days. So tell us a bit about your childhood. Who's in the family? What was it like growing up? Yeah. So I was born in Bellingham, Washington. I'm a Bellinghamster at, at heart. I didn't know that. Yeah. We moved when I was four. So all my memories of Washington, which is, so Bellingham is north of Seattle and like very close to the Canada border. And so we have grew up with some Canadian friends and moved to all, all my memories of that are like going back and visiting. I don't have, yeah. 
Um, I'm the youngest of three boys. Me and my two brothers are as different. Nate put it earlier this week. He was describing my brothers to someone. He's like, every set of the Woodruff boys is as different as you think two humans can be. It's like, you look at like Ben and Jason, you're like, yep, they're opposites. And then you're like, oh wait, but Austin is also somehow opposite to both of them. You know, there's this, we triangulate different personality types and stuff. Describe Austin. Austin's super nerdy and introverted and intellectual. He's not, he's not shy. He's just, you have to like, be more interesting than a book to get his attention. You know, he's just perfectly content being on his own. And Ben is like artsy is the wrong word. He's like film artsy and just likes being different. You know, like as soon as, as soon as anything is mainstream, he's kind of done with it, but also would never say that because that's a little mainstream to, you know, and it's like, so he just comes in, one of the things, he always is drinking some weird beverage I've never heard of that's like, has vitamins or, and weird, it's like, come in with neuro that's supposed to help, you know, whatever. And then like, so it's, he, he just loves weird drinks and things like that. And does he find things that usually take off eventually in no. the mainstream they stay i mean i it, like he liked apple early on and like things like that but like that's not he didn't like discover apple computers and now i don't like he doesn't have an iphone i don't think yeah. because why would you yeah. when you can have some weird android but and and in that way like austin is similar austin for a long time had h2o wireless like what is this thing he like paid by the minute like well into the 20 teens it's like 2018 and he's like refusing to text because he has to pay for the text and i'm like dude and so he would want to be removed from like family group chats and group chats and stuff because he doesn't want like when we send him a text he has to pay for it but it's like i mean it's like a penny you know yeah. And that's why he does it. But so, yeah, that's a, he, Austin was called low maintenance by the Peace Corps and a nerd by the chess team. Like he is just an extreme version of his personality type wow. and spends no money. And yeah. And then Jason, you are different because you're the social, you're mainstream, you're not intellectual. Right. <laughs> that's right. I, I like pop music and not thinking critically is <laughs> what, what's left. No, I'm, yeah, I'm social. Neither of my brothers are married and I, they've both dated people, but since like college and they might've dated people in college, but didn't let me know, you know? And yeah. And so I, I'm married and social and talkative and you played sports in high school which was yeah different. i i swam and played water polo so it's not like i played basketball and football yeah. but i i did play sports then through shot put and austin wrestled and ran well i guess he wrestled in middle school and then he ran cross country oh okay so none of us none of us played fair we're not we're not particularly athletic 
The good thing about water polo is basically no one plays it till high school and all the good athletes have gone to other sports. Yes. So here's your time. Right. I was actually able to like participate and, and, and be above average because the pool was of below average athletes. Level playing field. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. What about your parents? Tell us about your parents. My dad is a pastor and has been for a long time and he is not very pastoral, but is, he is a, he's an intellectual and leader pastor. So he's a senior pastor of a fairly large church and did business consulting before. Business consulting on like organizational leadership principles. Yeah. So he was a college pastor and making like, I think, I don't think this is a joke. I think they were making like $14,000 a year. Um, and that was self-employed because he wasn't, it was like a, I forget the denomination of the church, but he was not ordained in that denomination. And so he couldn't technically be like on staff. So he like worked at this church, but was like a self like consultant. So then he had to pay. So he gets, he takes home like 60% of $14,000. And that was when Austin was born. And so they made no money and, uh, you know, genuinely had no money when they were first married and like tell stories of, you know, they invite people over and they're like, Hey, can I have more coffee? And they're like, no, <laughs> no, like this was my coffee for tomorrow morning that I kindly shared with you and we cannot afford. More they coffee. reuse the grind. Right. And, and, but then went into management consulting, like traditional he started his own consulting thing and did well and was suddenly making money. And then I went back into ministry. He was, he led a international missions organization for a little while that's now called scholar leaders. And he did that while he, I don't totally know the timeline, but he did that some while he was the pastor at Christ church, which is where he still is. So in 1999, moved to Illinois, Lake Forest, and he came on staff at Christ Church and has been there ever since. And my mom was stayed at home and she loves sports and is very athletic. And so she's disappointed in all three. Very disappointed that none of us played a sport with a ball. She just loves, she loved playing soccer and basketball, specifically basketball. And none of us did that past fourth grade. Which, yeah, and like she taught middle school girls basketball while I was in, while I was in middle school, I think, and high school. Like she was just so deprived of uh, good athletics. And she is super strong Christian, as is my dad, um, but uh, bristles at the idea that people think she is a strong Christian or involved at the church because of my dad. And... Yeah. Because she wants to be known as this faith is my own, not because. Yeah. And like she, she had a very strong faith in high school and college and has, you know, just always, always had a strong faith and loved God and been faithful and did not want to be a pastor's wife. And then, yeah, becomes a pastor's wife and is like, yeah, I, I don't like traditional pastor's wife. She doesn't sing, she doesn't, and she's not like, 
she does not want to play a like just kind supporting role in the church she's like no i'm just going to like do this ministry because i like this ministry and i'm going to uh disciple women and not just be kind and encouraging because i'm the pastor's wife like you're gonna need to we're, we're going to follow Jesus and, and, uh, be disciplined. And, um, and so, yeah, she just, she has a great faith. I wonder if you have ever reflected on if that's made an impact on you seeing her just be her own person and not just try and fit the mold of what's expected of her in this role of pastor's wife. I don't know if you've thought about that at all. Yeah, not really. You know, it's weird. It's, you know, your childhood just kind of is what your childhood is. And so like being a pastor's kid just is my, that's, that was what was normal for me. And yeah, like my mom is what a pastor's wife is, you know, and I, I now see some of how that is different and the like pressure that she felt to be a certain way that she kind of refused, but also it's like, that's just what is what is normal and i'm sure shaped me deeply but yeah how old were you when your dad switched back from management consulting to pastor oh three or four like i don't i don't remember him ever being management consultant gosh because when we moved we moved to illinois for for him to be a pastor at christ church and yeah honestly those are some of my earliest memories i remember moving into our house and steve wells and probably nate coming over and i love steve wells because he like not all our stuff had shown up he brought us a tv and like some some vhs so we like he's a hero that's right we're in this empty house but can watch tv or watch a few movies occasionally Uh, yeah so steve my love for steve goes back a long way (laughs) yeah yeah because if you if you're a little bit older, or maybe if you've talked to your dad, I'd be very curious. Hey, finally, he's starting to earn some serious money yeah. with management consulting. What tugged at his heart or why did he, it must've been hard maybe mm. to make that decision to go back into ministry. I'd love to hear what he would say about that, but yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, m- my dad and I are, I definitely connect of the three, my dad is closest with me than, or closer to me than Ben or Austin because I enjoy leadership and like asking that type of question. And, and Ben or Austin would be disinterested and never think to ask or, you know, or, or yeah. And so have you had like long car rides with like just your dad and you would have time to ask him these types of things and connect with them? Yeah. Yeah. We've spent and, and phone calls. He's, he's very ADD, which was not diagnosed until I was in high school or middle school or something. And it was funny. He, so my mom, my mom finally was like, you need to go like get tested or something. This is ridiculous because he had forgotten to pick me up for like the third time or whatever. And she's like, I'm done with this. Like there's something like you need to go. And so my dad goes and takes this ADD test and he's 
like, at least publicly, a very thoughtful, reads a ton, you know, is writing sermons, this intellectual meeting with people, contemplative, like, and so he goes to a doctor who's on, who goes to Christ church and, uh, is like, Hey, Cherry wants me to, you know, get tested. And the guy's like, you don't, you don't have ADD and doesn't even like, and my dad's like, I know, but, and, um, he's like, okay, let me ask a few questions. He's like, so you sit for long periods and like study and are writing a sermon. My dad's like, well, I'm typically writing like three or four sermons at once. And, and the guy goes, hmm, all right, well, let's take the test. <laughs> and, and then goes and comes out and he's like, okay, so you're in the first percentile. Does that surprise you? And my dad goes, ah, oh, I mean, I, a little bit, like I would have thought. And the guy's like, I'm worried you heard 99th percentile. You are in the first percentile, like find a hundred people and you are the most ADD person in that room. Wow. And my dad's like, oh, wow. Yeah, no, that definitely surprises me. That's quite incredible that the, the doctor who's at Christ church in the congregation has seen Mike in so many from afar, but yes, yes. Yep. Was just right away. Like, no, I've seen, I diagnose people with ADD and you do not fit the mold. Mm -hmm. But what makes it even crazier is he's in the top 1%. Right. So, yeah. And, and I don't know what that it, it's, it's, yeah. Who knows? Because ADD, it feels like is a new thing. You know, everyone has ADD now and, you know, I don't know, maybe probably because of technology and other stuff. So to have, I mean, he's like 65 now. And so when he was 50 or something was diagnosed with ADD, but lived for 50 years, having no thought that he struggled with his attention and just managed it by, yeah, writing three sermons at once. And so it's not like, no, I don't sit and like am steeped and do this. It's like, I'm reading and oh, that'd be good. And just constantly. So like a long car ride with my dad is not. Yeah. Conversation. Yeah. He'll, he'll like, he'll like take a nap and listen to something and call and talk with people and have a conversation with you and, and do things. So like you, I, I feel like I know my dad well, but there's not, there's not like, oh, I remember this two hour conversation that we had doesn't, doesn't really happen. That's not how it goes with you and him. Yeah. I want to veer towards the news because obviously the pour over, which is a big part of, of you and what you do yeah. is, is a email newsletter covering current events and politics. So was news a common discussion in your family growing up? Not really. I really think looking back that both my parents had a pretty healthy relationship with the news. My mom, definitely. And this is a, like, even that phrase, healthy relationship with the news is something that is new in the pour overs vernacular and starting to be we, we won't because we've changed. We, we recently solidified our mission and re-solidified it at like different team meetings, but so I'm not going to bring it up because everyone would throw a fit, but I really do think that's kind of the purpose of the pour over is to help people have a healthy, like a spiritually healthy relationship with the news. And I think that both my parents do. And like, I 
remember having news explained, like events explained to me and talking about politics in the sense that they're explaining how things work. And when I would ask questions, like I remember asking, I remember asking my dad when we like saw a homeless person, I was like, well, why can't like, there's so much money. Why can't we just like pool the food or whatever? Everyone gets like a dollar and that can buy. He's like, yeah, so that's called communism. And like explained that and was, I remember him being rather disparaging of communism, you know, but like that kind of stands out as a, he would often kind of explain both sides and then be like, and this is why your mom and I, or I kind of uh, think this way, but would explain both sides. And it was, was trying to help me understand things in the news as opposed to like, there was only ever, you know, right wing or left wing news on, and it was always on. And we, it's like, we didn't have a TV upstairs. I, I don't ever remember listening to the news or watching the news or whatever. We would get newspapers and occasionally would talk about things in the news, but that was, that was as much as it was. And, and so part of my, and it was, I was in high school. It was whenever the Boston Marathon bombing happened was the first time. Cause I remember like following that news story. I had a phone and could follow it and was just kind of fascinated by this thing and they couldn't find the guy you know he he and his brother bombed and killed all these people and then they couldn't find him and they were looking for him and it was a water polo like weekend tournament and i remember like downloading a news app and getting like breaking news updates because i wanted to know when they found this guy and then i remember consciously thinking Oh, well, I'll leave this on, like, because, you know, like if Obama dies, I'd like to know or something. And I remember having this thought of like, I haven't, I've never had this. And I start to get these like news updates and I was like, huh, do I want this? And I was like, yeah, I actually kind of think I do like this. And you kept it going for the rest of high school. Yeah, you probably. And newsletter or not newsletter, but the news alerts app. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even remember what it was <laughs> like like which news outlet, but it was, but yeah, that was a low, low news intake. And, and then it was in uh, around 2016 and the election and tons of news. And in the years, the couple years after that, I became frustrated with my own relationship with the news and others and just others in the news and people close to me and being like, man, this like feels like we're doing this really poorly. And it has a bigger impact because I would, I, at that point I was in grad school. Well, yeah, I, I was in grad school when I started the pour over and when I really started to think about the news and I intentionally shifted, like I was getting a lot of news from CNN and that was kind of my go-to source. And so I like stopped that and only got news from Fox for a while and watched myself shift on things. And for me, that was just because I like, at the time I was sitting there saying like, oh, I can see that CNN is biased, but they're also reporting the news. 
And I was like, you know, but I bet you that's how people who only watch Fox think. And so I like intentionally shifted and it took a while, like it took weeks or months. But I remember again, thinking like, wow, my views on this have shifted. And I now, I like think much more negative thoughts of people that, and it's like, okay, this is scary. How just because I'm consuming a fair bit of news and I'm just getting it from one source and I'm watching it shape my view of people and the world and whatever. And so that was part of the motivation for starting the pour over was to be like, I don't, I like the news. I feel like I have a high capacity for the news and it, it doesn't really affect me. And I'm not like, I, I don't ever really get depressed or anxious or particularly angry from the news, but I could see it shape me, you know? And so saying like, what would it look like to have a news source where I'm not trying to figure out what a Republican or Democrat should think or feel about this. It's like, I'm, I figure out both those things so that they can kind of cancel out and then try to go to scripture or, and, and thoughtfully think through of like, okay, what do I think, like, what would Jesus do? What do I think Jesus would feel about this, you know, and, and have that be the motivator. And I, I really love that. And that's still like, just talking with producer Zach about this, this like assessment that we're trying to take to help, to try to help people have that same moment of recognizing how huh, I am being shaped by the news and I am being shaped by the news more than Christ. And it is impacting my relationships and, and these, because people don't, people don't see that, you know? And like everyone thinks they're the exception. Yeah. That's actually so intriguing that you would self-experiment. Going back to the story about how CNN was your primary news source. Mm -hmm. and you intentionally saying, I'm actually going to experiment here on myself. I'm going to cut myself off from CNN. I'm going to get changed to the totally other side mm -hmm. of the continuum to Fox. And then see yourself and assess, I am changing here. Yeah. My thoughts and thought process and what I think about the other side. Do you experiment? on yourself like that in, in other aspects? Huh. I can't think of, I can't really think of examples. Like there are, I don't know if I'd, I, I don't know if I'd call it like experiments, but there are times when it's like, I feel like, like anyone like right now and I'm doing really badly, <laughs> but for 2024, one of my new year's resolutions is going to be, I want to gain weight. And, and same here, brother. Yeah. That's been my new year's resolution since I was 10 years old. Yeah. Like I swam and then I ran in my adult life and I've just always been tall and skinny. And like, I, I want to like, okay, what, what would Jason at 200 pounds look like? And I've just kind of written off that like, ah, I can't. I can't gain proportional weight like that. You know, like the only time I've ever gained weight has been, well, and I, I never like do, I just like lose muscle mass and add pudge or something. And then it's like, okay, I should start running again. And it's like, um, so, but that's not really an experiment, you know, that's a, but like in that I have already experimented some of like, okay, what if I just like, 
basically only eat a ton of eggs, mm-hmm. you know, and, and things like that, but yeah. not not psychological experiments on myself. Yeah. That's not a common common thing. Yeah, but I think there's like an inherent curiosity that you have personally, whether it's experimenting on yourself or I want to see what this would look like if I try and gain this weight and what are the different methods that I can go about it and how do I feel and how do I look? Is it just fat that mm-hmm. I'm gaining? Right. But just this idea of curiosity comes with experimentation. So maybe it's not just on your own, but maybe in the pour over that you guys are doing a lot of experimentation too, because you're just deeply curious on how doing this advertisement, this one way and wording it mm-hmm. a certain way will compare to just tweaking a little bit on this other side and seeing how that advertisement might run. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do really like testing and yeah, and, and remaining open to the result. And it's cool, like the digital age allows you to do that so much. And it's just, it's fascinating to me how often I am dead wrong. Like most recently, the pour overs gift guide. So for Christmas, we, and there were sponsors and then a lot of them, it was like a third sponsors. So people that paid to be on or like our partners that paid to be on this specifically. And then the rest were like small businesses. So Tea Time with Joe could apply. And we had hundreds of applications and we picked like 20. And so there's inherently subjective picking of, of these. And we said, it's like, hey, we're just going to pick the ones we like. And it's easy to weed out 150 of them because you can just tell, all right, you only have an inventory of five things. And like, this is you making earrings with thread in your house and like you can't this isn't i love this hobby for you but this is not a business you should send um, a second holiday gift guide of all the rejects you should post that yeah some of them are some of them are so comically bad and it's it was just a horrible thing to say but you just look at them and it's like you've you have like and again, I, I love that you're doing this. It's fun. It's just remarkable that you think, oh yeah, let me just like publish and promote this. Like there's just like five typos on, on the like website, you know, and like you don't, no one but you wants this product, you know? Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a little bit like watching, uh, the like bad singers on American Idol, you know, like you, you, there's some like joy that comes out of watching the person that can't sing at all when they think that they are right. And really I, I don't know what that is human emotion wise. And yeah, but of the, of the 20 that we chose or of the 30 that we could have chosen from or 50 or whatever that were good, like, you know, we chose 20 and some of them had done super well. And some of them that we chose that we obviously thought would do well and that I thought would be like excellent. It's just like, oh, well, I'm glad we didn't charge anything because no one seems interested in this. And like, I thought this was a cool idea and I thought this was well done and, and whatever. And like, maybe we just failed to sell it and represent it well and whatever. I mean, there's multiple layers, but it's like, again, I thought. I thought this product was cool. I thought the way we described it was cool. I thought the method that we got it in front of people would work and it just didn't. And then others like are emailing us that it's like this amazing response and incredible and so cool. You would not have guessed. Right. Like, 
there is one, it's just a necklace. And, and to me, it was like, literally we had had the conversation and thought of like, there was a ton of jewelry submissions and this is the best one. Hannah doesn't particularly like jewelry. I don't like jewelry. I was like, this looks like good jewelry. We'll throw something on. It's gone gangbusters. And she's like, this is incredible. It's changed everything. And I'm like, I, good for you. I can't believe this. And again, it's great jewelry. I just didn't think anyone would be interested in buying a $30 necklace from a gift guide that we promoted. And we literally put it on there to be more balanced in what we put. And so like, yeah, it's just, that is, I, I love that. That's fascinating to me. The human behavior, like what, what people respond to. And so the marketing aspect of those things. And so we're working on this assessment where before you go there, I think yeah, I want to pause and could you explain for our listeners, can you give us a rundown of the pour over and how it works? So what does it look like from both the reader side and the company side? Mm, yeah. So we summarize the news and we summarize the biggest, most visible news of the day. So we're not doing like investigative reporting. We are, the, our goal is to help you process news that you're already going to hear. So like I was saying, like the, you're going to, whether or not you're watching CNN or Fox or reading them or whatever, your coworkers are going to be talking about the election and the economy and mortgages are up and like Taylor Swift is on tour and, and all these things. And so it's like, those aren't necessarily spiritually valuable things um, or impactful things, certainly not the most spiritually impactful things, but they're what's being talked about. And so we want to summarize that and then we pair it with brief biblical reminders. So a Bible verse and like a foundational Christian principle. So love your enemies, like, hey, it's easy to hate this person in the news. Sorry, we're called to love them. They're like, hey, this feels like a big deal, but we're going to live forever in heaven. And when you take that approach, this probably doesn't matter. You know, you're doing what your parents did for you. Yeah. The fact that you talked about, hey, why can't everyone just give a dollar? That'd be enough to fund helping others. And your dad was like, well, that's the principle of communism and he explained both sides of it mm -hmm. but then also explained hey here's what mom and dad believe and here's why mm -hmm. you're i'm seeing the early days of hmm. how your parents delivered big ideas and news and and politics to you in a healthy manner it sounds like you're just making that connection for your readers yeah we i think that's I've never really thought about it that way, but I think that's a good way. Like, again, I, this is how I interacted with the news. And when I started consuming a lot more, I watched how it shaped me and was like, oh, like I get why mom and dad didn't always have the news on, you know, like it's easy to become kind of obsessed about these things. And so then kind of like brought back my news consumption a little bit. And then it's like, oh, I was only consuming from one side and see how that was shaping me probably more than like my relationship with Christ. It's like, I would hear something in the news and I would immediately have an opinion on it that was driven by what that news outlet was trying to get me to feel. And it's like, it wasn't that I heard about this thing 
And I go, oh, what would Jesus think about that? It was like, I heard about this thing and I was told how to feel about it. And then I was like, wait a minute, some of these things, like, I don't think I actually should feel that way about it. Let me try this other thing. And then did that and was like, yeah, I don't think I should feel this way about some things either, you know? And I don't like that it's just all or nothing, you know? And yeah, but, but that is, and we really do. So we're politically neutral. And that's not because I think Christians should be politically neutral, but it's because all news, like we measure all our news based on their, it's political ideology and we shouldn't. And like that, that shouldn't be what, that is how news is measured, but that is not what we should care about with the news. And so we clearly present both sides because everyone, yeah. And, and then try to just remind you of what is going on or remind you of foundational Christian principles to add that perspective. And a lot of what we want is you to just consume less and care less about what is in the news. But we don't want Christians to know nothing. And, and yeah, so it's, we summarize it's three times a week. It's a summary. It's short. And if you consume no news, it's, you'll be aware of what's going on. And if you are obsessed with the news, it would be a good detox because it's not nearly as much as you want. Is that part of the reason why you guys decide on three days a week? Why we've stayed at three days a week so far. I mean, we started at one because that was what my capacity was. And it was just personal exercise. It was me saying like, and I want to do this for myself. I'll summarize the news of the week and move to three because it's not anyone that wants the news. W- weekly news is not helpful. Like, because it matters so little, you forget about it four days later. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to be in the news business, we have to be more than once a week. And, but we have, we have intentionally not gone to five or six days a week in part to communicate like you just don't you don't need that much if you spend five minutes three times a week you will be aware of all the major things you won't have constant updates on those things but if you sit and like critically assess what is going on in the news sometimes a lot is happening and a lot of times nothing is happening and they're just providing these tiny details and updates to things that you have no ability to impact. And so it's like, why are you, it's intriguing. But I, I mean, the, the Boston bombing is a great example. I, I did not need breaking news updates on that. And I did not, I did not even really need to know about it. It's not, we, there are serious problems and risks to the fact that we can find out anything that happened anywhere in the world as soon as it happens. And it's why there's national news and not local news anymore. There's like 2000 newspapers that have gone out of business in the last three years. They're all local. And it's because local news can't compete with the intrigue of national news. But Local news is way more relevant and impactful. And like, just think about what that means. Like we are choosing entertainment. Like it's not that 
like our, our news is our, it's, it's entertainment. We're not trying to learn things that are important to us. We're, we're trying to be entertained and finding the biggest, boldest story within a country is a lot easier. And like the biggest thing happening in the, in the country is a lot more exciting than the biggest thing happening in Tiffin. Right. And then you expand it on a, a world level. And it's like, all we write about, like for the last two weeks, all we've written about is the, the, the war in Israel, which is important. And it, it is relevant. It's important that you know what is going on and we should be praying because prayer is powerful and important. But if that's the goal, if the goal is to be aware of what's going on and, and praying, do you need hourly updates to accomplish that? And, and what, what is the negative impact of you getting hourly updates? You're angry, you're anxious, you're fearful. You have more things to argue about with your neighbors. And like, none of those things are glorifying to God. None of those things are helping the war in any way. It's not like, oh, because I know this, not like in some impact. Exactly. Like, sure. Like generals. And I, like, I, I hope that the Pentagon is getting hourly updates on these things, but like, I don't need that. (laughs) Right. It doesn't need that. And, and it's, that is actually, it's not neutral. It's damaging. Mm. And so finding the correct amount of news and, and stepping back and trying to understand the purpose of following the news. Like, why do I read the news at all? And it's like, I, I would say the reason you read the news is one, to find out things to be aware of things that impact you and that you can impact. So like a hurricane is coming your way. Good to know. Like I can do something about that. Or this local politician has this stance and and you're voting or this politician that you can vote for has the stance and you're voting. Make a case for me that I need to know as much as I know about Ron DeSantis or or that's a bad example because he's running for president. Gavin Newsom. Why do I need to know about a governor of a state I don't live in? Right. I, so I can be angry at California or like impressed by California. I can't impact California. I can't vote. It doesn't impact me. And, and like, but tons of news and tons of the news cycle will be focused on what Ron DeSantis and new Florida law and a new California law. And it, it makes people angry and anxious and breaks apart families and, and does things. And it's like, maybe there's some argument for shifts in culture and how you can talk with your family and whatever. And it's like, okay, but let's do a cost benefit analysis yeah. of this. How much, and how much are you actually doing that? Like saying, I took this info about this new law in California or Florida, and I've, I'm thoughtfully thinking about how this could impact me and my family and having thoughtful, loving conversations about how we can care for others and, and do things. So it's like the actual impact of news that we consume is very low. So the other option is to be able to converse about it and, and, and shape people and, and engage with people 
But again, our goal in those conversations should be to reflect Christ and to build relationships and love people well. And, and like, how can I take this news conversation and share the gospel through it or grow closer to Joe or encourage Joe or whatever, you know? And instead, what it typically does is how can I follow this news thing, come to a conclusion, and then go feel out whether or not Joe's on the same side of the issue with me. And if he's not, like maybe cut him off in this like self-righteous way and like ruin Thanksgiving dinner and and all these things. So yeah. how is that healthy? Right. Yeah. You open my eyes to I've never heard of news as entertainment, but when you put it in that way, you know, like especially the breaking news alert type things every hour hearing about the latest update, which is this tiny detail, but they've exploded into this big deal that you need to know about dopamine. It's just like yeah. a dopamine when you, when you <laughs> compare it to entertainment, like social media, it's just this constant flow of, I don't know what's going to happen next. So I got to keep scrolling to see mm -hmm. what's the latest update and what is something that I don't know about this thing and just be hit with that. I never thought about news as an entertainment source but i can see why in put in that way it's so highly addictive and therefore you need to the the big news outlets need to make it so that it's so engaging and gets the the clicks and all that it is entertaining it's great entertainment yeah yeah what's your how, like what would you say your relationship with the news is like do you feel like Oh yeah, like, I have a pretty healthy or like I hate the news and I kind of avoid it or yeah. Yeah, it's a part of my life. I think it started growing up in Chicagoland. My parents would always have WGN news at yeah. nine o'clock and mostly for weather. They would care about, okay, here's the seven, 10 day forecast. Yep. And they would always make comments about, oh, it's going to be cold or it's going to snow this upcoming weekend, yada, yada, yada. You know, I would watch the news and the top story living near Chicago was always, another shooting in Chicago. Yep. And there's some quote, I'm going to butcher this, but when, when 10,000 people die, it's the news. When one person dies, it's a tragedy. Mm -hmm. You just become so numb hearing the murder in Chicago over and over and over that you become apathetic to it. So that's something that I realized when hmm. growing up watching the WGN news, because the top of the hour, it was some homicide mm -hmm. and I would, I wouldn't give it a second thought, mm -hmm. which is scary to think about. But then the death of one is a tragedy because it's probably someone, you know, and they're highlighting this one individual, mm -hmm. but when you take the masses, it depersonalizes it, dehumanizes it because yeah. there were, yes, there was that one important individual amongst the masses. So who cares about that one when there's like a mass shooting involved? So we watch it for the weather and sports. I'm a big Chicago sports guy, yeah. so I would really tune into that and care about what was this latest media conference that this coach or this player talked about. So I, I thought that was interesting because I was engaged with the sport and the player and enjoyed that. Today, I really limit my news intake to three email newsletters. So the pour over being one, you made the list. Nice. Um, morning brew, which I know yeah. you're familiar with and the hustle. Mm. And honestly, the hustle was just referred to me and I just haven't unsubscribed. And it's one of those, I'm too lazy to unsubscribe and also have this FOMO of 
Yeah. Once I don't have this other news outlet, what am I missing out on? But if I take an honest assessment, if I unsubscribe to that, I don't think it would really matter. I think I have, I don't know. I think I have unsubscribed from the hustle, not because of like anything they did, but similar to, because they do like a deep dive on different business news that you aren't going to find elsewhere. Yep. And, and I remember, I remember like really enjoying one in every three and finally just being like, I don't, it's, it's well done, but it's, it's too topical, you know, like I either am interested in the topic or I'm not. Yes. And, um, and so I, I just kind of moved on. You should, if you like business news, I'll give a free shout out to another newsletter. Um, have you heard of Charter? No. Uh, oh, wait, I have because you've advertised yeah. them. We, I really like Charter. It's like, because it's, they create charts um, and some news is just better in charts and it's, it leans kind of businessy, but not always. And they'll do, it's I think three or four times a week and they'll, have like a chart and then write a little bit about it. But it's it's cool because it's not like, it's by no means a comprehensive news source. But it's concise, but it also expands on something you've heard about in a cool way, you know? Yeah. So like they'll do one that Taylor Swift was just named Times Person of the Year. And they had this cool chart of like every, the age by year, the age and gender of everyone who has won Times Person of the Year. And then they call out some specific people. They're like, here's Hitler and here's, you know. And so like, it was just cool of, yeah, I heard that Taylor Swift won and I could go get this information elsewhere. But in like, I can just sit here and look for 30 minutes and be like, or 30 seconds and be like, oh, this, this was interesting, you know, and, nice. and topical, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's a fun, it's a fun thing. And they'll do things like how many how many EVs each automaker has made. And it's like, you're hearing a lot about like, you know, GM and Ford and all this stuff. And it's like, they've made like five cars and here's yeah, Tesla, well. you know? And, yeah. and it's like, it puts perspective to some of those things in ways, or it's like mortgage rates are so high. Here's mortgage rates over time. And it's like, oh, actually we're like dead center of historical rates, you know? Right. And so it's cool. Yeah, I like that because it's putting objective data because the news yes. can be so subjective and right. opinionated. But then it's just, hey, let's, what does the data actually say? So I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I hear the charter CEO thanking you for making that pitch yeah. on Tea Time with Joe. That's right. <laughs> Jason, what is it about the news or running, running an organization that makes your eyes light up? So on the news side, it's all the things that we've kind of talked about. Like I just see it's, it's exciting to me to think about how impactful this could be for someone's relationships and mental health and relationship with God. You know, like something as simple as changing your news source really can like heal relationships that are broken with a family, you know, and Do you ever get comments from readers about that. Can you share? Yeah. Like one stands out. There was a, 
a girl, a, a woman that wrote in and said, I shared the pour over with my dad who just consumed tons of only right wing news. And, and he, it, it's like destroyed the family in the sense that like they never hang out anymore and, and, or, or whatever. And he, texted the family and apologized just saying like, Hey, I realized that I've like made, he used the phrase, like some of these things that I've been caring about are important, but not God of the universe important. And I should have prioritized our relationships more. And she was like in the pour over that phrase, like God of the universe important, like this, this may be interesting, but it's not God of the universe important was in the pour over that morning. And, and so it's like, that's a really that really is, I would say, the like hope of the pour over. And that's what's, that's what makes my eyes light up about writing the news is like, and it feels so obvious, but, but like we, we spend a lot of time, like that is our hope with, with the news. And we spend a ton of time in through the editing process of going through and saying like, what, what is going to be offensive and like, what is going to anger someone in this? And like, how can we phrase it to make fewer people angry while still being accurate? Mm. Like we want to report that this thing has happened, but we don't need to say, you know, crazy Joe Biden or loony Donald Trump or whatever, you know? And it's like, or we don't need to be like the, the, these things are correct or, or, and it's like, if we can just, if we can make jokes about things that are not at anyone's expense and make it a little lighthearted. And if we can present the facts. Is that because you don't want anger or annoyance or frustration as an emotion for someone reading it to inhibit them? from just seeing the news as it is in a healthy way. Because if you have said something in a way that would have provoked anger, mm -hmm. do you think about that because you don't want them to just stop at the anger and then just don't read the rest of it because they're angry about a way that you worded something? That's a good question. I, we don't want Yeah, we, we want, we want a thoughtful response. And again, going back to why someone is reading the news, like that person, there are things in the news that are frustrating and wrong, and we should be bothered and upset. But like the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And, and like, also explicitly tells us to let go of our anger and not be angry, you know? And there are other verses and translations of one specific verse that says, be angry. And then it says, but don't let the sun go down on your anger. And it's like, we, and, and people talk about, oh, well, Jesus flipped tables. And it's like, Jesus described himself as gentle and lowly. And if you look at the entirety of his ministry, and take away that I should go flip tables. Like you have grossly misread the gospels. Right. And, and so 
some of it is maybe an overreaction and overcorrection to that of like, that is something that I'm passionate about. But saying like, if you're, we don't want you to leave angry from reading the news because we don't, we don't think that's a profitable emotion. And I would much rather you read about this war or famine or whatever and be heartbroken and, and follow like, and, and well, one of the, sometimes our Christian perspectives are like, Hey, here's what you can do. Like go support this organization or drive here and do this or whatever. And I, we don't want you to go support this organization because you're so angry. Like we want you to support that organization because you're heartbroken and want to make a change, you know? And like, it feels like that is the correct response. And also we want you to converse about the news in a loving way that reflects the confidence and sovereignty of God and not one that is doom and gloom. And if my candidate doesn't win, nothing will be right ever again. And so if you're supporting someone who's not my candidate, I'm angry at you because you're now through. It's like, we don't want that. Yeah. So that that's part of it. And, and also, yeah, we just want you to be able to see and understand and actually know what's going on. Yeah. So that makes your eyes light up on the new side. Is Mm -hmm. there something about running organization? Because going back to how you are much like your dad, who was in management consulting and you have your MBA. What about running an organization? Is there an aspect of that that makes your eyes light up? I love, like I talked about testing and and trying different things. I love business strategy and I love being able to actually like do things and try things and like- And experiment. Experiment and like, um, so I worked at Dish out in Denver um, and they have cratered a lot since I've left, you know, but like, that's a because joke. It was because you left. Right. Exactly. But like, that's an obvious joke because I had no impact there. I had no ability to control. Of course, me leaving did not tank the company because me being there didn't prop up the company in any way. Any charter to do <laughs> a map of your career. Yes, and it would, it would look pretty good. Price. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so that was. I, like I, that was the part I liked least about Dish is that like I would come up with something or I'd be working on a project or program and and trying to and like make a suggestion and who knows whether or not it would be taken and so much of my job was just you know it's project management it's like okay you said you were gonna do this did you do this no okay do this and we're going to talk again tomorrow, you know, and like go through. And it's like, I'm not even deciding necessarily what needs to be done. I'm holding people accountable and reporting. And you're facilitating and coordinating. Yes. And like all of that is a huge part of my job now as well. But it's also like, what if we tried this thing? And, and you get to make that And decision. I get to like, and it's, it's an, I mean, it, this was an idea that I had in grad school, the pour over. And it's like a game, but it like makes money and you can tell whether or not you're winning and doing things and impacting people. And that's so fun to say like, what if we like for a while, like, I don't know, what are some things that we've done? 
but like, what if we ran ads on this platform? Or what if I tried this and like, we see whether or not it works. And like, what if we launch another newsletter focused for kids? Like, would that like be well-received? And what if we changed the way, like, what if we added something that was just like a fun clickbaity image or GIF at the end of every email and it called it whipped cream on top. And it's a hundred percent of the time, the most clicked link in every email. <laughs> and like people open the pour over and skim the news and click See if there's it's that. like, oh, there's going to be a funny dog doing something. And it's like, it's like, wow, we like boosted engagement and our open rate because of this thing, you know? And it's like, that all is super fun. And I am curious, can you give us insight into how you capture ideas like that? Is that just throughout the day you have a voice memo and you're saying, Jason, try this idea. Do you spend certain hours of the day where you're thinking about jotting down ideas? How does that happen? I'm, I will have ideas and I, I now, as a rule, write them down in my notes app. And my, someone was asking me, they're like, how do you organize your notes app? It's like, there's no organization. <laughs> it is like, I create, I basically create a new note for every idea. And it is the purpose of the notes app is to make sure I don't forget it and move it to some more lasting. So it's just this, like, sometimes the sentence not even complete. It's just this graveyard of like random things that I couldn't even tell you what they mean anymore. There's a little bit of Mike's 1%. In you. Yeah. And, and then what I often will do is I'll, I'll talk with someone about it and I'll and this isn't, I, I'm, I'm thinking through this now, this is not a like defined process that I take, but I'll like call Nate and pitch this idea and, or talk with Hannah about it or you or whatever, and just kind of uh, bring it up and see what the response is. And because I, well over half the time, I'll mention something and people's eyes will glaze over and they just won't care or they'll be like, oh, well, what about this? It's like, oh yeah, man, that's a fatal flaw in that idea. You know, how, how many times have you pitched it to the first person, let's say Nate, and he's pushing back on it, but you just went for it anyways. And because you still felt strongly like, okay, there's one, an N of one, that's one person's mm -hmm. um, opinion about it, but I just need to see it in the masses. How often do you just carry it through, even though you have your sounding board that is like, don't do it. Typically, if I am, because sometimes like I'm not super passionate about the idea, you know, like sometimes it's like, oh, what about this? And then if the first person's like, that's stupid and I don't like that, then I'll be like, yeah, I didn't really like it either. You know, and move on. Yeah, that was but a like, terrible idea. If, if I have some excitement behind it, then I'll just talk with someone else or, or try and like rephrase it and be like, because, uh, to me, a big part of it is, can it, like we, we are, everything we're doing with the pour over needs mass appeal. Like we're trying to, like the pour over is for Christians in America. I mean, depending on who you believe, there's like 200 million of them, you know? And do you have a worldwide following, by the way, do you have readers? outside the US? Not significant. Yes, there are people that that read it globally. And there's there's like a not insignificant contingent of Canadians that will write in and you were you lived right near there. I know through ages birth through three. That's right. Bellingham. You're so hometown hero. Hometown <laughs> hero. Yes. 
international business mogul. <laughs> but like, so decaf was an idea. It's like a smaller audience. Hey, we're focused on parents and family. But like when we, whenever I talked with parents and like there would be some intrigue or like, oh yeah, that, that would be cool. And so some of it is if I can't pitch the idea, it's a bad idea inherently because like, or I need like, even if the idea is good, if I'm unable to pitch it and motivate people around it, then it is not worth pursuing. Even if, and, but there are other times that I just think people are wrong and we go for it. But typically that's not me in isolation, but I'll give an example. Yeah. We have in 2024, we are going to push a challenge, like a news cleanse or whatever, 59 days. And we're testing it with some people now. And universally, the feedback has been that the challenge is too hard and there's, there's too, it requires too much time. And those people are wrong. <laughs> and, and we are, have actually, I have actually added more things to the challenge. You're doubling it down. Yes, because it, <laughs> and, and so here's like, here's the challenge as it stands today. And it's to say you, Read the entirety of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, every day. You spend five to 10 minutes in the news and no more. You spend 10 minutes praying after reading the news. And once a week, you do some random act of kindness or outreach to someone that you believe is going to vote differently than you. And... Universally, the feedback has been that just takes a ton of time. We don't want to do it. And we're not like, this is too hard. Like, tell me to read one chapter of the Sermon on the Mount and pray for the news. And, and after that feedback, I'm like, no, actually, I think we also need to say you can't be on social media and, and like no podcast with any, except tea time with Joe. Right. No, no, no podcasts where you're interviewing like people on current events, which th this is, this is, we're not interviewing about a current event. Right. And it's only, it's only, it's 59 days. <laughs> this reminds me, didn't you do some challenge where it was no sugar? 75 hard. So that's part of the 75 hard sucks. It's ridiculous. No one in their right mind would do it. And I did like 75 medium. I did like 60 medium, but 75 hard is, yeah, you, you have to work out twice a day, two 45 minute workouts. You have to drink a gallon of water, no alcohol. You have to be on a diet. You have to read like a chapter of a nonfiction book and take a picture every day. And if you don't do any of those, start over, you have to start over. And oh, is this, are you taking concepts of that to apply it here? The, so like, I think the principle is. 75 hard is appealing in some sick way, you know, of like, and, and I think the reason it is appealing is because you look at that and you go, yeah, I would, I would like be in better shape and better health if I did that. It's ridiculous, but like that would work. I acknowledge that it would work. And that's the premise that I want to take into this like 
political peacemaker challenge or whatever of saying, yeah, it would be easier for 75 hard to say and, and maybe get wider spread adoption, but I don't think so. But it would be easier to say, you know, stand at your desk and walk, like walk for 10 minutes and eat an apple. That would be easier to achieve. It would not transform your body in the way that 75 hard does. So if you're saying, I want to gain muscle or I want to lose 20 pounds or whatever, it's eating an apple and walking will not accomplish those things. Like there is an absolute level of, no, you need more transformation to be transformed. You need to do something harder to experience the results. So as a reader of the four over this peacemaker challenge, is it, hey, call to anyone who wants to participate. Here's what we're doing. And it's just this way that readers who are sick, like you said, and amped up about this challenge to be even more engaged with the prover. It's so similar to 75 hard. Even they do not recommend that you just do this indefinitely, you know? And so the thought is that we'll certainly offer it to the readers and, and explain it to the readers. But some of it is just going to be a outside the pour over challenge for people and maybe like a lead gen, like we'll, we hope that people will come subscribe to the pour over, but, and I've mentioned this assessment that we're creating, that's going to be part of it is like, take this assessment, understand where you're at. And then basically we'll provide like, Hey, based on this assessment and the answers you gave about your relationship with the news and God and others, here's one thing that you can do that will help or you can solve the problem, you know? And it's like, Hey, like if you want to be healthier saying, Hey, you should get a standing desk. Like th that's one thing, like you're living a very sedentary lifestyle or you should always take the stairs or whatever. Like that is a good thing and does point you in the right direction. You will see some benefits. It will be good and it's very achievable, but if you want to lose 30 pounds, if you want to say, I am angry and anxious and depressed and obsessed with the news and I'm friendships are being lost yeah. and I'm not talking with my son. I'm ready for a change. You don't need, you don't need like, Hey, you should consider praying for five minutes after you read the news. It's like, that is a good thing that will not repair your relationships. That will not remove your anxiety that will not reduce your anger to the level that you're talking about. But if you cut back all your exposure to the news to five to 10 minutes and follow that up with praying about what is going on, and then you force yourself to think about, here's this person that I disagree with, and I'm going to go love and be kind to them and try to nurture this relationship. And if you, on top of all that, are spending more time and becoming saturated in Jesus's word, as opposed to Fox or CNN, you will, and you do that for 59 days based on Matthew uh, 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. If you do that, you will change. You will notice a difference. You will be more calm and like you will reduce your anxiety and your anger and, and imagine if 
all the Christians did this. And if in 2024, Christians, when there's so much anger and anxiety, Christians were pockets or little like pieces of like, they were absorbing anger and anxiety. And it's like, you're fired up and you come talk to me and I don't reflect that back or fire you up more. I listen and care and it, it ends with me because I have a lasting peace that surpasses understanding. It doesn't make sense that I would be peaceful in the midst of this chaos, but that's what the Holy Spirit provides and promises. And it's like, okay, let's, let's get that. Let's be focused on that and absorb anger and anxiety and love you despite the fact that I think you're dumb. <laughs> that I think you're voting for the wrong person, that I think you're the problem or part of the problem. And it's like, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to invest in this relationship and, and yeah. So like that, that was an amazing pitch. I, I get it. Once you're on board. Oh yeah. Once you've defined, once you define who this is for, because as you said, the, the person who is just so anxious and stressed and consuming the news all frequently, and it's, they're allowing it to impact them in such a way that it's manifesting in how they treat other people or their views on other people or their family members. Once you defined who you have in mind, especially primarily for this challenge, it makes mm. little sense of why you are doubling down on the method and because it needs to work. Like it doesn't need to be achieved. Like it doesn't need to be achievable. It needs to be, if it is achieved, it's successful, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and the hope also is that it, it will be you who best I can tell have a relatively healthy relationship with the news and, and with others and with God. And you would probably take our assessment and see that you're like a peacekeeper, maybe not a peacemaker or something like that. And like, but it's, you're, you're in a good spot. Yeah. And depending on your stage of life and season of life and whatever, maybe you go like, oh man, I got, I got like two pieces of thing. Like this was helpful for me to see that I spend more time than I think consuming the news or that, you know, it actually has impacted some of my relationships or here are a couple things that I can do. That would be total success for us. But also a lot of the people that take 75 hard are already jacked, you know, like they're already in good shape and they're, they're not trying to say, I'm, I'm getting up off the couch and I'm going to go do this. They're saying, I want to challenge and I want to grow deeper in my relationship with God and have an excellent relationship with the news and things like that. And I think that appeal will mean ultimately more people take it because when people take it and it works, they'll then talk about it and share, share it. Whereas if our recommendation is you go eat an apple and walk, that's not going to transform your life. You're not going to share, share it. You're not going to talk about it. It's quite amazing. I think anyone on the periphery would view the pour over as, Hey, it's a three day a week email newsletter, putting things in a concise way, neutral, and just reporting out the news, but then highlighting some eternal perspective. I think talking with you as, as you look under the hood, you guys are really making an impact on people's viewpoints and with their families. And because news is such a big component in a lot of people's lives, not everyone, mm -hmm. 
because you could just hide and and shelter yourself from the news and you don't want to pursue it that way, which I know that that's not what you guys are about. You're saying, hey, let's consume news, but in a healthy manner. If you unplug, that's the preferable of the two extremes yeah. for what it's worth. Yes, yeah. yes. On the periphery, you could view the pour over as just this. It's simply just an email newsletter. But when you look deeper, it's amazing how much you guys can influence and impact people's day-to-day -day lives. Because someone who is consuming the news 24-7, they might not be aware of how it's seeping through mm -hmm. on lashing out on someone else. You mm -hmm. know, But just the fact that if you can change their consumption of the news, highlight it in a lens that's a lot more of a healthy filter to pass through, they won't lash out. They won't be as stressed. They won't be as anxious. That's an incredible mission that you guys have. And that's really, I, that's really what we're specifically in 2024 trying to help more people see. And that's like, because right now you're right. Like we are, we are a newsletter that summarizes the news three times a week. And like, we've talked about writing a book on these principles and things. And I think that like will happen. But part of it is like right now, like I, I read Morning Brew often. I would not buy Morning Brew's book. And the fact that they have an email list of like 3 million emails or whatever does not mean that they would be able to sell a lot of books. But if we can help not only like if the pour over is a resource that is helping people have a healthy relationship with the news and people are reading the pour over people who are reading the pour over are aware that that's what we're trying to do and that's what is being done to them then then when a book comes along they're on board you know and a much higher percentage of people will buy a book because they're like oh yeah this would be another way that i can help with this and if there's an assessment that helps them understand their relationship with the news then like yeah i'll take that assessment and if there's like a challenge then it's like oh yeah maybe i'll like do that someday or find and so like that's part of and again the strategy piece and that's what i love about the organization is like okay we are so fortunate and lucky and love writing the news and running the news and all that like i love my job and my work and whatever and but but it's not doing everything that I, it's not doing everything I want it to do in the sense that I want more people to be changed and experience this kind of freedom and joy. And, and so it's like, okay, how do we appropriately view what we have and not just assume that if we wrote a book, people would jump all over it because I don't think they would. And so it's like, okay, well, how, how do we, how do we get to that point where people would start asking for a book? From the pour over because no one's asking for a book from the pour over but like how do we set ourselves up and position it and like that's just a fun game like it's there are there are rules but there's just endless possibilities and ways to get there and it's like and how do we do that and monetize it and like and and monetize it in a way that people are like privileged like so excited that it only costs ten dollars to like do this thing you know and then we can spend that money to reach more people and do things. And it's like, that is the organizational leadership stuff that like that strategy that really makes my eyes light up of like, how can we do this? And you know, when you're winning, like the pour over 
runs that we can charge an insane amount of money for ads because if we find the right product and it connects correctly with the audience and we are able to connect it correctly they'll buy a ton of the thing and then the advertisers like loves us and thinks it's like oh my gosh this is amazing take all my money and we're like cool now we can like go reach more people and it's like we've we've won we've done this thing this was successful we had this theory that if we build an audience and find great products and connect them that that would create value and it did and like now we can try to do it more wow you need to have that necklace person right yeah you and it's changed your life and and sometimes it's the things you just don't expect yeah incredible incredible I heard on a different podcast that you'd like to run for office someday. Is that true? Uh, yeah, I think I will. I think I will probably run for public office at some point. Um, What's the main motivator? A, a lot of what we've already talked about and similar things. And like, again, I, I think, I think. It's frustrating to me that politicians, again, stoke anger and just feels like they're focused on the wrong things. And to say, like, what would it, what would it look like to try to be productive instead of like virtue signaling and looking for a soundbite and just raising money and accumulating more power, you know? And, and I think that a good politician in the right position, and, and there have been examples of this, that they have been a great healing force, you know, and a, and a unifying figure, you know? And, and so like, I think that type of thing of saying like, okay, how can we set aside some of these things that are bothering us and just like, like policy when done well can really impact and help people and we just see so little of that and so saying like what are things that we can all agree on and and help implement and and then also just model doing things in a way that glorifies god you know and it's not just that we are fighting for what is right or working towards what is right but we're doing it in a way that a God that described him himself as gentle and lowly and would, would be proud of, you know, like that is appealing. Yeah. With the corruption in politics and politicians and their focus on raising money, how much do you blame the person versus the system of much like with the pour over, you guys are playing this game and you can see how you're doing. I wonder if the game of politics has been set up in such a way where you're incentivized to keep doing what you need to, to get reelected and just to maintain office. And yep. it's what well, the behavior that we're seeing is reflected in the motivation and incentives. So whether it's short-term thinking and just appealing through maybe anger or passion that really engages top followers that they need to maintain this persona and vote a certain way and not look across the aisle to make amends and compromise because the game's rules are set up such that 
how much do you blame the politician versus the system? Yeah, I mean, there's a good chance I don't win. <laughs> and or or if I win that I don't win again, you know, and and who again, who knows if I ever even run. But I, I think both those things are the system is both the institution of a lot of things. There are I think intentionally high hurdles, like it's hard and expensive to run for president, for example, like you have to get on a ballot in all the states. And if you want to be on it, it, that's basically cost prohibitive unless you have a ton of money or the RNC or DNC paving the way for you, you know? And so like, it's, there are people that would be great. And that, that just like mechanically can't do it. And so there's, that is a legitimate issue. Um, yeah. And then just politically, you are at least right now rewarded for a lot of the bad, the wrong things. Um, and, and so whether or not that drives good people out of politics or just means good people can't win, um, or turns good people bad, which I think certainly happens. Both those things are true. And that's why I think there needs to be a posture of one, like some, some pressure on the timing and, and following the Holy spirit to say, Hey, I am doing this for the right reasons and, and doing this at the right time. There, there are certainly things like it, it's, I, I hope and see that it is very possible that as the country becomes more divided, it is, it will become politically appealing and advantageous to be boring and open to compromise, you know, because like people don't like where we're at. And so if you were to find, if someone were to step up and be like, yeah, I'm going to have like both parties in my cabinet because I'm trying to represent the entire country, like for decade that's never happened you don't you don't but like why not <laughs> you know like why would i if if i was elected to represent this district what do i think that there's only republicans or only democrats in the district why would i not have people on staff that are advocating and representing for these people you know like yeah so yeah, it's going to come to a point where there's so much, it's ripe for change, ripe for a candidate that is just, in our eyes, not extreme on either side, is just kind of boring, like you put it. Right. But a not extreme person, because I'm not, I'm just not an extreme political person. I spend a lot of my time trying to understand both sides and talk in a way that doesn't bother either one of them so that they can see the actual message. And so it would be, it would take a lot of rewiring and learning for me to, like, I'm trying to tell the news with broad appeal. And it, it's, it's so interesting and so the opposite of what we do to think about like, man, if I ran a news organization and my goal was to only appeal to this group and to just not care that I am saying things that are inflammatory to this group is so the opposite of how we think, you know, and, and it's good. I mean, like we cite those sources and do whatever. It's helpful to understand what both sides are thinking for all diff different sides are thinking, 
it's just not how I'm wired. And so there's a good chance that there's no appetite for someone like me. And, and, but I think that also should be part of people running for office, you know, of like, this is what I'm about. If I don't win, I don't win. And I go on and move something, do something else, you know, like I, and I'm not desperate to be elected or reelected. Yeah. Yeah. My, and, and you can think this is dumb, but my issue that I look for in a candidate or a stance that I look for in a candidate is they're all about eliminating term limits or instilling term limits. Yeah. That I think, again, I think I look at it as there are a lot of things in the system that incentivize and cause the bad behavior. And so term limits being one real example of if you install term limits and, hey, politician, you can only keep going at a certain point and then you're just done. So would that help okay. increase some better behavior? The other thing, I think some states have tried this is rank choice. Oh, yeah. Voting. I know like Ireland. I don't know if other states. I think Alaska does it. Okay. But that's another one where you, you have to see. Easy. Yes. You have to be knowledgeable about every candidate, not just one, because that's kind of lazy. You just know who you're going to vote for and you just cast your vote there. But rank choice voting forces you to really understand all the candidates on the ballot because you're going to have to rank them. And it, and it removes the excuse which even that is the wrong word because this is very legitimate of like, if you, if you don't vote for one of the major parties, you are throwing your vote away. And, and so then there's this pressure to be like, oh, man, I actually absolutely prefer this third candidate, but I'm not going to vote for them because they're not going to win. Whereas in ranked choice voting, you can put them as number one. And then when they are likely thrown out, then your number two vote counts. And so it's like, I can put, and, and it, it solves that problem, which I think is a huge problem. Yeah, there's, I think, term limits. Another, I actually think a, a, a tighter age window, because the, one of, the only valid argument I've heard against term limits is in some, like jurisdictions and locales that it's been done. If you have too short a term limit, it just shifts all the power to lobbyists and stuff because they will end up with the institutional knowledge. And if you only have people in there for four years and it's a massive job and the first two years you're just figuring out which way is up, you lean on the people who have been around, which is the special interest and stuff like that. Ah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. So, but I mean, that's just solved with longer <laughs> terms, like saying yes. like, hey, it's, there, but there still should be some limit. You shouldn't be able to make a career out of it. And then the other problem that we have right now that is relatively new is people in their seventies and eighties. And like, how old is Chuck Grassley? It's like, he seems relatively shrewd for his age, but the problem with, I think he's like, Producer Zach, could you look that up? I think he's, yeah. The, the, the problem is, even if he is bright and uh, saying it now, Nine. he is 90. And we elected him to a six-year term. I love 96-year-olds. I have no issue with them. The problem is, what do 96-year-olds do 
they they die they like lose their intellect overnight like these things can happen when you're 94 when you're 90 and so the fact that he's fine now it's like and so if we just had a firmer cutoff to say we have an age minimum on all these things 25 for a representative 30 for a senator 35 for president what if we just have an age cap that instills limits i need to bring up a story so i hung out with some neighborhood guys guy friends and one of them is a, a U.S. marshal, so he helps mm. protect judges mm -hmm. in federal courts. And I was fascinated by what he does and his career path, and so I asked him about benefits and pension. And he said that in his job, he, meet, he has to end at 57 years old because he's carrying a gun. And they take that privilege away from you, 57. Like, they've already said... Hey, if you're older than that, you, you shouldn't have the responsibility of carrying a firearm. And right away, my mind went where yours did is there are people much older than that in a position where they can enact policy that yep. have huge effects. We don't let airline pilots, you can't be a commercial airline pilot after it's a low age. Yeah, it's like you're in your 50s. And they're just like, you're done. And yeah, here we are. And, and what's hard is like, I get Chuck Grassley's a great example. He, I understand why he was reelected. And because he's a, one, he has immense name recognition. So who can run against him? And the, the people, whoever was running against him had Chuck Grassley's name, I don't even remember this guy's name, but Chuck Grassley's name was on his yard sign because you had to say, it's like, you know, Jason Woodruff can defeat Chuck Grassley. Like you have to, Chuck Grassley is synonymous with Iowa Senator in Iowa because he's been the Iowa Senator for like a hundred years. <laughs> and so there's one, you just can't, name recognition is huge. Two, He's a, Iowa is a rather forgettable state, unimportant state as far as states go. And we have one of the most powerful influential senators because he's been around forever. He's in line for the presidency. So why would, like, there is a incentive for Iowa to keep, because he's chair of these important committees. He's in line for the presidency. He's immensely influential. And so to say that we're going to stick some 32-year-old in, like Iowa loses a lot of its voice. And so, of course, we're going to vote for the 90-year-old. And you know what? If he runs again when he's 96, who knows? Maybe we vote for him again because like people lived a over 100. Yeah. Centurion and U.S. federal position. And it's like, I... 65. 65 on airline pilots. Controllers, I believe, are lower because they have. Yeah. Thanks for the fact check. Yeah. So finding those and, and under understanding the unintended consequences and thinking through, because like, I understand why there weren't term limits. You want institutional knowledge. And if they can, the, the term limits, the check is the voters. Like, well, the voters just shouldn't vote in someone who's going to be old and die. It's like, well, we know that that's not the case because there are other institutions and powers that be, and you just can't overcome. If we're going to have 
likely two presidents running against each other. Because who can, of course, the incumbent it wins the ticket, you know? It's like, who can unseat a sitting president in their party? And who, and you effectively have that with both parties, you know? Like you have, so we're going to end up with Biden versus Trump. And that, even when you poll and like 65 to 70% of the country says, we don't want this rematch. And so, but it's like, you don't want this rematch, but that's what's going to happen because of, so like the voters won't vote and they'll, they'll check and balance. Like it just doesn't work. Same thing. Like you get all these things that are good in some ways, but have these unintended consequences, like a, there's no term limit on a Supreme Court justice or any judge. And it's like, I love that in the sense that, yeah, they are a political. They don't need to be reelected. They transcend the political cycle. Also, it allows for a 105-year-old who can't sit up to be one of the most powerful people, you know? And it's like, so you, you have to, you have to try to think through these things. And we don't want to destroy the good that these things are doing of like, oh no, we should just elect Supreme Court justices. It's like, oh, you think it's political now, you know, like preserve some of the, the brilliance of how it was set up, but also be willing to adjust and improve, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does Hannah know that you have aspirations of running for office? Yeah. I made, I made her look at me in the eyes and confirm that she understood before we got married. And because I was just, because I will mention it. And I was like, I'm not saying I'm going to do this. I just don't, I want you to know that, like, I'm not joking. Like, I do think that I'll do this. She's like, yeah, okay, I get it. So people are going to vote for you because you're Hannah's husband. For sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And bring it back to our earlier discussion. I hope Hannah, if you are elected office, pursues her status like your mom. That's right. She's not, your mom is the pastor's wife, but she's not the traditional pastor's wife. Yeah. And and assuming those expectations, I hope Hannah, and I bet she will, she will do the same thing. I'm not just Jason's, you know, politician's wife. There was a great at, on that note, uh, Rosalind Carter, who just died, her, her grandson gave her eulogy and there were, it was like Mrs. Trump and Mrs. Obama and Mrs. Dr. Biden and Mrs. Bush and so the grandson is going through and saying like, you know, says all those names and it's like, thank you so much for being here. And then she goes, and Dr. Biden and Mrs. Bush, thanks for bringing your husbands. <laughs> it's like, awesome. that is the perfect scenario. <laughs> yes. It's like, this is the funeral for a first lady. We're not even going to say the word president. We're not even going to acknowledge the presidents in the room. We are, they are important because of their marital status to the first lady. Love that. Lovely. There you go. There you go. Jason, do you have any book recommendations, favorite books that you have? Yes. Two, one, Unoffendable by Brant Hansen. Super easy read and expands beautifully on the, the sentiment of like, hey, we're not actually, we should not. Anger is rarely righteous and it does a great job on that and is super readable. And then the other is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer and love that book. Yeah. My, my endorsement for that is 
the vision he paints of Sabbath rest and of taking a Sabbath, like once you read that book, you will not view it as a command. Like you should rest on, it will be like, oh my gosh, why this is the most beautiful, amazing thing. Why is this not my top priority? Yeah. Okay. Knowing that you, you work on Sundays because you have a newsletter coming out on Monday yeah. morning. Do you Sabbath on Saturday? Yep. So I, I stop working at one o'clock on Friday and then, and then start working. I, so I take a half day on Friday. I don't do any work on Saturday and I take like a half day on Sunday. I'll, I'll write the newsletter on Sunday, but don't do any like business work. So I edit and do that, but no, like nothing with sponsors and growth and stuff like that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I love, I love that book. All right. I'm going to transition to some rapid fire questions. You up for this? We'll do it. Okay. What is something people often get wrong about you? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm a fairly open book. What is one piece of leadership advice you've been giving that's so remarkable? The, the phrase to be unclear is to be unkind. And like when thinking about staffing and stuff, it's like, hey, if I, it is not kind and helpful to not tell people what they're doing wrong or to sugarcoat things or whatever. It's like give people feedback and allow them to get better and flourish. That's so good. What is your best leadership quality? I think willingness to test and follow the, you know, to, to come up with an idea and really like it and shop it around and be like, hmm, yeah, that wasn't one of my good ones. <laughs> I've seen that theme just in talking to you throughout your whole life. What's one thing you're really excited about right now? 2024, man, political divisive mess is, is good for business and, and exciting potential. We're here for it. The pour over has, has got all of our listeners. We'll, they'll take us by the hand and walk us through the mess. That's right. Tell me one thing you're deeply grateful for right now. Hannah, she's, she's a, she's a great mother and is a very intentional mother. And that's great and, and makes it fun to be able to go to work or, or do work and, and come home and, and know that Bryn is being cared for so excellently and intentionally and, and then get to like join in that, like when I'm not around all the time, it's, I'm very grateful for her. All right. Finish this sentence, these sentences. It all comes down to discipline and consistency. Pressure comes from expectation. Are you a rule breaker or a rule follower? I'm a rule follower. Okay, and finish this one. I am. I am a follower of Christ, not a member of a political party. Love it. Very on brand. Very <laughs> on brand. I think this is a great place to wrap up. Jason, thank you for coming onto the show and for all of your support with this podcast. Any final thoughts or things you'd like to say? No, this was fun. I'll have my referral link to subscribe to The Pour Over in the show notes. If you'd like to listen to their podcast, just search The Pour Over today. You can find them on social media at The Pour Over News on Instagram. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.